Welcome to Reveal, the Revenue Intelligence Podcast powered by Gong. We're your hosts, Devin Reed. And I'm Sheena Badani. Revenue intelligence is a new way of operating based on customer reality instead of opinions, making data-driven decisions based on facts instead of opinions or guesswork. And it's made up of three success pillars, people intelligence, deal intelligence, and market intelligence. You know, the things all revenue teams need and care about. Every week, we interview senior revenue professionals and share their stories and insights on how they leverage revenue intelligence to drive success and win their market. You'll hear how modern go-to-market teams win as a team, close revenue with critical deal insight, and execute their strategic initiatives, plus all the challenges that come along with it. Sheena, have you ever worked at a PLG company? I didn't know what PLG was until we had this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But now that I know what it is, product-led growth, um, I have worked at companies that had at least that mindset. It may have been like before Hmm. this was like an official term, um, but basically where we were driving users enabling those users, making sure they had an amazing experience before we then were able to sell to them. So I I would say that probably my experience at MongoDB fit into that category. Um, And, you know, that would be probably the best example of my experiences so far. That was going to be my guess. Knowing your Mm -hmm. link, you know, your, your LinkedIn background, not your LinkedIn background, your background via LinkedIn and hanging out with you all the time. I was going to guess Mongo was probably the closest. Uh, mm-hmm. I wasn't sure if they're a PLG technically or not. And I don't know if the PLG community has hard boundaries. You know what I mean? Like there right. could be some hardcore PLGers listening like, nope, you either are or you aren't and you can't, you know, and I don't know. And like if we upset club, you with this example, <laughs> we're sorry. Write a letter to reveal at gong.io and let me know. Um, <laughs> But it was cool because there's kind of two things uh, that tied this episode together. One was we've been hearing a lot more about PLG, um, something that's just been coming up here, there, and other, and was cool because Kai is somebody I know from uh, my first sales job, which we talk about a little bit. And so mm-hmm. uh, we're both on the sales floor together. We reconnected, and he was like, hey, I'm a sales leader at a PLG company uh, and would love to catch up on Reveal if you think it'd be valuable. And I was like, you alone good sir, would, would have plenty of expertise, but you bring that PLG side bag and we've got an episode here. So I was really thrilled that we got to learn. I, I genuinely feel like I got a little bit of a crash course on PLG yeah. here. Um, yeah. And it was cool to listen to him break down kind of how a sales team is still so vital. And also what kind of caught me off guard was how support was really near and dear to him and, and big on his um, buyer experience. Exactly, exactly. Um, it was all about like putting the user first before any other person at your prospect, the, yeah. the decision maker, the champion, anybody else. It's all about the users and putting them front and center, which is amazing. Very cool. Very different from what I'm used to. It's like, you know, you, you need the end users, but they're like influencers at best, right? It's like get to the decision yeah. maker, you know, get executive buy-in, you know, soon and, and uh, you know, as quickly as possible. So yeah, to hear like, no, our entry point is the users. Um, that was cool. And the thing uh, for our listeners, you probably know what an MQL is. Hopefully marketing's delivering. Uh, you probably know what an SQL is, sales qualified lead, but Kai broke down what a PQL is, product qualified lead, which kind of blew my mind, but makes complete sense once you hear him break down 
what it means to lead at a PLG company. Mm-hmm. Let's, what do you say, Sheena, we go hang out with Kai, shall we? Let's go hang out with him. Let's do it. Kai, I am excited to have you on the show, not just because I know you're going to drop some fantastic expertise for us, but uh, as I said before the show, we're reunited and it feels so good because you and I go way back to my first sales job at ClearSlide. So it's great to reconnect and have you on the show. Good to see you. It's been a while. I love Those days were tough, hard, but also rewarding. We learned a lot. We learned a lot. <laughs> yes. I tell folks I wouldn't want to go back, but I wouldn't have it any other way. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and great to meet you today, Kai. Yeah, great to meet you too, Sheena. Kai, we're here to talk about sales leadership and specifically sales leadership at a product-led company because you're the VP of sales and customer success at Webflow. And they're a product-led growth company, PLG for short, for anyone you know loves the buzzwords or what's hot right now, PLG is hot. And um, you're focused on pioneering the no-code movement and building products people love. So before we even get into the leadership stuff, can you, can you set the table for us real quick and kind of just define what exactly is a product-led company? Yeah, you bet. Uh, so PLGs are definitely, call it a buzzword nowadays, but ultimately they're companies where the product is really built with the end user in mind and not necessarily the business stakeholder. So basically the product team is just hyper, hyper focused on the user so that we built a delightful experience and ultimately uh, make them become fans and advocates and eventually bring the product in to either their company with them or their organization with them. Um, this is pretty dramatically different than call it like a Salesforce or Workday where like those products are built with the business stakeholder in mind versus the end user. Um, and furthermore, like with PLG companies, then when we think about go to market, then we really think about, hey, the acquisition channel actually starts when users start using the product before they've even paid for anything, before they've even spoken with anyone and are ultimately signed up and are very, very knowledgeable about the product before we start engaging. That's interesting. It sounds almost like what a, you know, if you have an enterprise sales motion, almost kind of like the middle of the sales cycle, right? Which is getting like a pilot or, you know, a proof of concept going and getting to the end users that way. But it is interesting thinking that the entry point is very specifically, like you said, not the business stakeholder. So is there a part of, you know, hey, let's get people signed up for trials, right? Let's, I'm sure there's certain milestones, right? We want people to hit, use this feature, use X for Y amount of days in a row, something like that. Um, fun fact, I saw that Facebook's uh, metric was if they add three friends, I think in like a week. Just kind of curious, like at what point for you all do you try to get to that business stakeholder? Because I imagine eventually you have to get a deal done, right? Or, or am I wrong? So one, one interesting thing about Webflow, so Webflow allows everyone to create for the web. Um, and so you can create enterprise level websites with Webflow all with no code. So an interesting thing about Webflow is for smaller companies, the, you know, they might actually just go by self-serve and be totally fine putting their company website on Webflow. But for larger companies, they actually might have a huge web presence, but they might run like really specific campaigns. So users might just bring in Webflow in to run those specific campaigns have great success and ultimately talk to us and say, hey, um, can you help us 
uh, bring it up internally. Can you help us land this with the execs here, given that there's way more stakeholders involved with the replatforming of a website? And so actually, this with this PLG motion at Webflow, what we see is call it for smaller companies, they can go make decisions. And of course, as they grow, they want to continue building a relationship with us. But even for larger companies, it gets brought in into smaller groups. And then they really ask for our help. Like, hey, how can you help uh, convince our execs, IT, security, all the things, right, that enterprise sales normally does and consults with and help those users drive the sale on their behalf, really. As you're talking, it's reminding me of companies like maybe Slack and Yammer where it was like really user-focused, um, you know, in terms of usage and then like how can we get this deal done and how can we turn this into an account? Um, probably even like a, a lot of open source companies work like this too, where you have like developers that are using the product and now it's like, hey, we need to get to IT to actually get some dollars here. Um, any other good examples that you can think of of product-led companies? Yeah, so so I, I do think that is the traditional stereotype of like, hey, product-led growth companies, they come up in these little pockets and the sales motion for PLG companies is you go then talk to IT and guilt them into buying it to, for SSO and da da da, right? Um, but if you look at other archetypes like a GitHub, I think GitHub is like a great, great example where that was definitely a, a PLG company, a developer started bringing it in. Certainly as you, uh, as a VP of engineering, you, you want to standardize on where your code sits, the repos, and then you can actually have, drive enterprise sales that way. Um, so, but with ultimately with Webflow and our product-led growth motion is where it's not going to IT and guilting IT into like, hey, look at these folks that are using it. Don't you want more security? Don't you want to know what's going on? It's mostly going to and really helping those users go to those business stakeholders and say and really putting forward the case of why should you actually change the way you currently build your website, how you currently host your website, and ultimately what the business use case is of replatforming over to Webflow. So as opposed to it being a purely IT security motion, it's really a large enterprise business value uh, motion. That's interesting. And as you're talking, it's like your role, um, you know, just for the listeners, like you oversee sales and customer success. And you've done that for, I think, the last few years now, even in prior roles. Uh, that's not always the case. You often see folks, you know, they're just solely responsible for sales or solely responsible for CS. Um, but I think this kind of experience from the user standpoint makes sense in the terms of how your org is structured and how you're kind of like balancing across both. Um, I'd love to just like hear your thoughts on like why bring those two together and have them both under your your uh, purview. So it's actually customer success and support. Uh, and support is a, it's actually a big deal. And this is actually very, very important to me um, that I'm very connected to support and leading support. So uh, ultimately, our acquisition channel is really led through product. And so what that then means is it's really important to me what that user experience is, ensuring that any signal that I get, that my team gets, where customers, users have issues with the product, like I need to get that back to product immediately to our, our product and engineering team. Uh, at the end of the day, it affects our acquisition channel and that user experience is a big part of our growth. So, so really, really important. Um, another thing too is, you know, a, as a PLG company, users are very, very informed, right? They, they've been into our product, but, and sometimes they just want to talk to us through multiple channels, right? So you might have 
uh, enterprise customer coming in through support, right? And I need to ensure that that customer experience is cohesive across no matter who you're talking to at Webflow, it feels great and is great uh, user experience. So, uh, and I do want to add more channels, whether it's chat on websites or, or chat and product and ensuring that wherever that user is, they have a way to reach us so we can help. Uh, and ultimately, one thing too, is that a lot of companies reserve support for paid customers. Um, and the way I think about it is I want, as much as possible, I want our support org to be able to help all users, even free users. Uh, ultimately, it's, it's a huge flywheel, right? But with product-led growth companies, free users will eventually go work at companies or they will go tell their friends and family, right? So even if they're free, I want to make sure they have a great experience um, and ensure that they're successful using our tool. At Gong, we call that experience creating raving fans. So it right. really sounds like you have a really similar uh, you know, kind of objective here, like let's focus on the users. If they're delighted in every single experience that we have with them, then we can create that kind of unified experience for their entire company. That's right. What I'm worried about is just like having these silos, right? That we would just put upon ourselves, like, hey, here's sales, here's support, here's customer success, and, you know, throw it over the wall, throw it over the wall, and that user just gets bounced around. That, that terrifies me. It's like my worst nightmare. I want to ensure that, you know, we do create these advocates, kind of like you just said. Companies with a PLG strategy, think Slack, Calendly, and Expensify, to name a few, are able to grow faster and more efficiently by leveraging their products to create a pipeline of active users who are then converted into paying customers. While growth may be slow early on, Data suggests that once PLG companies hit the 10 million ARR mark, they tend to scale faster. Why? Because product-led growth companies aren't held back by labor-intensive lead generation, sales, and customer success processes, meaning they can stay in hyper-growth mode at scale. To date, PLG has created more than $200 billion of market value, and it's not slowing down anytime soon. Well, I have to ask, what are you doing, Kai, to like, do you have any kind of like I don't know, some plays or some tactics you use to make sure those silos don't exist? Or if they start to build, you kind of flag them and, and break them down, so to speak? No, we're, we're, we're actually not that far yet. Actually, the first thing I, I wanted us to do, I've only been at Webflow for a year and a half, is actually ensure that our systems are in place um, so that they're, we can hand off in a very cohesive manner first. And what that means then is I needed to think, as opposed to just having sales ops, I have a revenue ops team that uh, thinks through sale, marketing, sales, customer success. I have a partner motion to you and support. And the first part of that then is ensuring all the systems, whether it's Marketo, Salesforce, Gong, um, and Zendesk, how can we actually integrate all the systems into one cohesive system so that we can ensure and follow a customer through one pane of glass? So that, that's actually the, the first thing I've been focused on and my team has been focused on before continuing to drive these plays. It's a pretty big lift to actually do that. It's, it's not easy. Well, it's interesting too, you mentioned like your entry point could be support 
and worried about silos from support to sales and, and so on. And it's the same for, you know, enterprise sales motions. It's just the entry point is, you know, the sales dev org, and then it moves to sales and CS. So it's, it's interesting to hear that even though the, you know, sales process, you know, they kind of air quote it here is different. There's still those same challenges, right? Of making sure systems are in place, teams are talking to each other and the buyer experience is as smooth as possible. That's right. And ultimately, as we introduce these new channels where uh, users or customers can uh, reach out to us, can speak to us, we will start creating all the all the playbooks. And by the way, we'll iterate. I'm sure, like day one, it'll be fine. Right. Day, you know. But the way I think about it is like we want it better every day for the user experience. So something that I'm curious about is how the sales team differs at a PLG because everything you're saying is support is starting this off. Maybe they don't even need to talk to sales for some, uh, you know, examples. And I imagine, you know, it was kind of uh, mouthwatering to think that, hey, you know, some account in your book is just going to hit you up and go, hey, we're ready, Devin, come help us. You know, how do I, here's my, you know, here's my executive. Here's what we want. Help me sell it. Like that's a dream, right? Sellers love that conversation and love that invite. So I'd love, Kai, to hear from you, you know, having been at, you know, ClearSide being one example, I'm sure you've had others in your past of like, you know, the, the um, you know, enterprise sales motion versus PLG companies. Like how are those sales teams different? The types of team members I look for um, at, at Webflow and certainly PLG companies, like I want folks that can help ideate. One of the things I've told the team is I'm all for buying software if it's going to help um, add intelligence into our motion, uh, be able to help us find the right user, the right lead at the right time. Um, but I also want my team to be able to ideate and collaborate and also think of and bubble up use cases um, from the field level. So ultimately, I'm looking for a highly, highly collaborative field team. And I regularly reward and prop and recognize folks that do that. And also, by the way, that also means that I want them to be able to take risks. Um, either they can kind of test some different value propositions, right? I think I've heard in uh, previous podcasts that you've run that sales is at the forefront of like testing value props, right? Um, and this is something I highly, highly encourage because there's so many use cases for our specific product and also for PLG companies, given that's very much user led, we're lots of times we're so surprised about the use cases where users want to use our products. And then I want to, I want my team to be able to bubble that up so that we can then bubble that to product to marketing. Um, so ultimately looking for highly, highly collaborative sales folks, um, folks that want to ideate and also are very call it tech forward and want to think through like how can we continually improve the process or how can we use data how can we use software to increase that signal for us to find the right lead at the right time have you found as you recruit uh and interview folks is there like i guess i'm wondering if like folks with more, more of my background right so like never been at a plg company right like enterprise sales folks do you find that they have those skills or or like easy to transfer into the PLG realm? Or are you looking for folks who do have that specific experience? Um, ultimately, what I'm testing for in interviews is I'm, I'm looking for folks that want to build, have a builder's mentality. So of course, you know, traditionally we loved sales folks that want to, to knock their quota out of the ballpark. Um, that's important, but that's not the most important thing for me. Because uh, ultimately, we're building, we're iterating, and we need signal always back to product. Um, so one thing is 
as as I think about just playbooks for PLG companies, I just think they're much more agile than um, what you might have at a, a sales-led company. Uh, given that we can give the signal back to our product team quickly, they can iterate. Um, therefore, like this team just needs to have agility um, as they're constantly getting information from our users. So ultimately, just having a, a great flexible playbook, you know, obviously you don't want uh, it too flexible, but you want to provide a little flex for the team to have creativity, to have that innovation, but also want to share. If they're not sharing that with other team members, just, that's also not going to work, right? So, um, and what you just asked about, like, hey, could we find like enterprise legacy reps? Can they fit that model? By all means, right? It's it's really that culture that you build and kind of the expectations that you set of like what you think great looks like at this type of company. And so you talked a lot about like kind of the qualities and characteristics you're looking for in your reps. I'm curious, like from your own personal experiences, how has it been different leading a team of these builders and kind of entrepreneurially, entrepreneurially, I can't even say that word, minded reps um, versus kind of like the traditional kind of sales revenue first org. Like what kind of areas within your own skill set have you had to like dial up or down or even uh, develop? Oh my gosh, so fun. So <laughs> when, when I first started at Webflow, I actually spent a lot of time with engineering a product. Lots and lots of time. One thing is it's easy for a new, you know, call it head of sales to come in and say, all right, I have a number. I want to like completely revamp the product roadmap because blah, 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 blah. I think it's going to drive this revenue, this dollar amount. That's a big mistake. <laughs> so ultimately, as, as a revenue leader, what you don't want to do is you don't want to lose the community. You don't want to lose that magic that the users have fallen in love with your product. But at the same time, you want to try to figure out how can I monetize responsibly? How can I make sure, like, I don't necessarily want to monetize the freelancers, the students, the, you know, small SMBs. I'd rather monetize on larger enterprises that are getting tremendous business value so that we can continue to expand our mission for users and not have to, like, regularly raise prices every year as the only means of driving revenue. Um, so what that means is, like, I actually flex a lot in product. I spend a lot of time reviewing product specs. I weigh in a lot. Um, I, you know, the, the product, the PMs at Webflow hear from me pretty regularly, and I'm very, very involved much more than I normally would be, call it, at a sales-led company where it's, this is what I need, I need to hit this number, that's it, regardless of the user, you know, CSAT. So that, I would say that's probably the first thing. And then the second thing is really under, helping, you know, uh, engineering, product, design, also understand this, because there's a sales team here, does not mean this is going to change the culture of the company, right? Like how can I show them that sales can actually help be a great flywheel for them for product signal, right? So now they actually have this great asset, this great resource, especially with Gong, huge shout out, by the way, uh, like something I actually really, really use uh, where, you know, we have several channels set up, whether it's like, hey, competitor mentioned, right, with from Gong and our product folks are in there specific feature request mentions, right? And so our product folks are regularly um, in there as well. And then I'll also tag product folks on Gong calls, um, specifically like, hey, you should probably listen to this use case. At the end of the day, product folks don't like hearing 
features to build. They like hearing the problems that to go solve. And so you should actually listen to this use case from this customer and the problem and issue that they're running into with our current product. Like you solve it, PM, but like this is what we're hearing in the field. And so by doing this, then ultimately uh, engineering product designer are like, oh my gosh, okay. We're not changing to a sales-led culture. Actually, we have this new you know, new superpower. Now we have this new insight. We have this new asset to help drive intelligence and drive insights for us ultimately, right? Um, so that's that's really a, I don't know, you tell me if that's uh, different than normally a sales-led company. Well, I have a lot of thoughts. My first was like, I could imagine product folks not loving the VP of sales super involved. No, Kai, you're wonderful. I'm biased towards you. I think you're great. But, you know, as a whole, it's, you know, maybe maybe it's a bit of a stereotype, but, you know, I can imagine product folks trying to join a sales kickoff, like, here's how you should sell the thing we bought. You know what I mean? Going the other way of, you know, here's how you should build the thing I'm trying to sell. Um, so I think it's just interesting hearing, uh, it must be, uh, you know, you finesse your way in there kindly, or maybe it's a culture thing where, you know, that collaboration where folks want to hear from you. It doesn't just come free, by the way, Devin. Like, this is where I, like, I spent a lot of time earning that trust. It's sure. I can't just ask for trust. I need to, like, earn the trust, really understand the lens and the journeys that the, the product engineering teams were thinking through when they initially built the product. Through earning that trust, then they actually wanted me to weigh in, right? I mm. and shared the documents. You know, I made comments. Um, I didn't tell necessarily. Uh, I asked questions. I also provide context from what I'm thinking, but I'm mm -hmm. not necessarily telling them like you need to do X, Y, Z. Sure. And it seems like you're really kind of like on a level playing field with the product team, where mm -hmm. you have this tremendous wealth of knowledge. You and your entire org from the customer interactions, the conversations, the insights. They have a tremendous wealth of knowledge from, you know, from a product development standpoint, what else they see in the market, et cetera, et cetera. And like, it's really kind of a mutually beneficial relationship. Whereas like, that's not always the case in some companies. It's, you know, one may have more power than the other, but it doesn't seem like that. That's right. It's, it, it, I regularly have one-on-ones with our VPA product. Um, I think bi-weekly, and we have just such a great relationship. And when I say great, it doesn't mean that we always agree, right? <laughs> like we have a relationship where we can be candid with each other. We can disagree actually, uh, but we have earned the trust of each other and we understand, you know, sh she's incredible. Uh, and, but I also want to provide a perspective or, or lens either based on lived experiences or based on what I'm hearing on the market to help inform um, kind of the way she's thinking uh, or I'm always open to hearing the why, the context of why she might be prioritizing something in the product. Um, and for me, that might be okay be just because I'm thinking across our entire um, revenue stream. So I'm thinking through the revenue from our self-serve users all the way to the enterprise. And so it's not like I just care about enterprise users. If anything, I actually care more about our self-serve users uh, because they, they are the flywheel for the future. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you know Gong, which you do, and we've been talking about like the insights and the data, like we love data here on Reveal. Um, I'm curious what data do sales teams and your organization specifically have that your product team really benefits from? So so, so my, my team actually knows I, I like to do uh, this Thursday uh, night Gong and wine. 
Uh, so this for me, I actually I like to listen to at least three calls every week to ensure that I stay grounded. But as part of this too is, you know, I regularly review um, either with keywords within Gong and be able to feed that back to the product team as you know part of the, our, our product roadmap. So that that's just within Gong. Obviously, it's very very strong signal uh, founded and based on uh, literally what customers are saying. Uh, but then outside of Gong, we have uh, we collect a lot of data. We have a lot of telemetry, and we have a lot of tools. Um, and it's one of those things where how should we think about when a user is a product qualified lead versus an MQL, marketing qualified lead? Product qualified lead, what are those steps? What are those actions? And by the way, it, the product qualified lead definition that we may have six months ago may be different today as we've added more features right. or if we add, like change our onboarding or made the ease of use um, easier. Um, so we collect tons of telemetry. Certainly I think the, the standard one is just logins, right? Uh, but um, outside of Webflow and just PLG in general, it's like, what are those steps that those users are taking with high, high intent? Um, for us, you know, it could be like you've created a project, you've put a few things on your canvas as you're starting to build your website it's an idea another one could be you've actually launched your website you've had 10 visitors come right um that could be a highly qualified lead and for us we're, we're continuing to iterate always on this it could be um hey here's like six steps maybe if they've done four of the six that's a qualified lead so this is something that is uh we are actively talking about and iterating on um we had um one definition that we've are moving towards a different definition just to make sure we're just going up higher and higher in the user activation journey where all right is this the time we should actually engage should we add value here or should we uh, go in product and like introduce using like a partner because like maybe you want a partner that wants to go in and help unblock and you know you're running a business you don't really want to learn how to like use webflow to build a website right so um i would say with this type of data and this type of telemetry, we're always iterating. It's not one of those things where we're going to say like, all right, here's our definition product qualified lead. We're done for the next 20 years. So it is one of those things in flight. That's so interesting. I've actually never heard the term product qualified lead. So I learned something new today. PQL. <laughs> I am very curious. How um, is that metric define like is it more coming from the product team do you have like data science team that defines that um is it like a combination of you working with those teams tell us more about that yeah you bet okay so one role at, in product-led growth companies is product growth so we have an amazing director of product growth actually uh, I, I believe her full title is director of product life cycle um and she is constantly thinking through uh, what that metric is, that activation metric. And she's constantly thinking through how can we help folks convert from sign up to paid, right? And part of that, that paid is called monetization. In between is that activation. Um, and so with 
as she continues to do research and work with users, look at uh, run a bunch of experiments, by the way, she's constantly thinking through what does a qualified sign-up look like, which then translates to product qualified lead for the sales team. Uh, because maybe for a smaller company, call it less than 200 employees, you probably don't want a sales team working with them. That seems like a great place for self-serve to live. But can we use those same themes for companies over 200 employees or companies over 1,000 employees if they do those same things that our product uh, director of product uh, lifecycle has learned, that then could translate to a product qualified lead for the sales team. So there's just so much sharing between sales and product there to actually get the signal of like when is the right time to engage in a lead and maybe uh, we leave it for product for smaller companies, but then we give it to a sales team for larger companies. It's, I find that really fascinating. So thanks for sharing yeah. that. Yeah, he said, yeah, you said PQL and I was in my head. I'm like, here I am, you know, hoping for, you know, a demo request or something like that. And Kai's team is like, yes, 10 visitors on their website. I got a hot one. And I'm like, that is like way over my head. I'm like, that makes no sense to me until, until this interview. Now, now it does. Uh, but that is very interesting, Kai. Thanks for, thanks for breaking that down. I yeah. feel like it'd be, it'd be interesting. I feel like as someone at that company in sales to see how that PQL has changed as the product has changed. Right. Because mm -hmm. even, you know, here at Gong, our, you know, MQL uh, scoring changes periodically as well as the company matures, but for very different reasons than, you know, right. the product right. isn't, isn't, has changed. So that's interesting. That's right. That's right. We have one last question that we ask all of our guests. I think you said you listened to a few episodes I before, did. so you might know what's coming, but got to ask you, how would you describe sales in one word? Okay. I prepped for this one. <laughs> <laughs> um, Innovation. Mm. So, you know, traditionally folks talk about sales marketing. They use the term blocking and tackling, right? It's like, just run yep. the playbook, run the playbook, run the playbook. I actually think that with the way that the market's moving, users are just so informed. And also the way that everyone is so digitally native at this point, everyone expects a great um, user interface, a great user experience, right? So, there's just so much innovation happening in sales today with software, with data. And this is something I'm so excited for our future account executives to be able to take this and understand like, hey, sales was done a certain way for a long, long time, blocking and tackling, but there's the sales of the future is gonna be pretty different. Um, and there's a lot of innovation going on. And I, you know, I, I hope that we're at the forefront. I've, of course, we have tons and tons of work to do. Um, but ultimately think that there's the way that we will sell in the future that we sell today is going to be very, very different than in the past. That's great, Kai. And it really shines through in the way that you hire and build your team and work with your product team. So that innovation, that lens really shines through. Awesome. Well, it was great to have you on the show today. Um, thanks for coming in and dropping by and hanging out with Devin and I. So great to see you guys. Devin, great to catch up again. Thank you for having me. On the surface, product-led growth may look like a simple model that empowers your buyer to try it before they buy it. But it's much more than that. Any company can adopt PLG principles to improve user experience and increase go-to-market efficiency. Here are three basic steps to win at product-led growth. One, understand your value. What are the main outcomes that motivate the purchase of your product? Is it functional, emotional? Number two, communicate the perceived value of your product. 
product-led companies are upfront with their pricing for initial signup plans. And third, deliver on your promises and products. What you deliver in your product is the experienced value. The perceived value should align with that experienced value. If you can understand, communicate, and deliver on your value quickly, you'll be able to build a strong start for a product-led business. Did you like today's episode? Subscribe now so next week's episode will be waiting for you on Monday. And if you really like the podcast, please leave a review. Five-star reviews go a long way to help get the word out there. And if you're not ready to give a five, check out another episode and see if we've won you over by then. And if you have any feedback or you want us to interview one of your favorite revenue leaders, just email us at reveal at gong.io.